We will employ an exciting, fast, explosive, and diverse offense combined with a physical, punishing, relentless, suffocating defense. Purdy rolls right, looking to throw. Benito gives chase, comes back left. Purdy still looking, sets up, balls loose, rolling around in Iowa State territory. Redmond picked it up. Redmond on the run. Redmond scores. Oh, mama. All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host tonight, Kamiya Moravian, joined by Chisholm Holland and Stephen Brown. Chisholm, haven't seen you in a while. Hope everything's gone well. How's life? How's everything? It's doing really well. Uh, life's going well. Thank you for asking. Glad to be back. Thank you for doing podcasts like normal people at night. Obviously, the most inconvenient time, so I could rejoin. That's great. Thank you. You know, it it happens, and it also happens when our schedules also just change as well. So it'll be more podcasts in the evening, so Chisholm can hopefully join us. And then Stephen Brown. Stephen, how's everything going? It's good. It's, uh, I'm glad to be back in Oklahoma, finally catching up on a little bit of sleep. I totally forgot you left the state. Where'd you go again? Went to Chicago for a wedding, days. right? Was it a wedding? No, it was uh, our friend group does like a hockey trip every year. So we just pick a random city to go to. We're not I guess I'm just fans, a bad just listener. Just I get, I'm, a bad, I'm a bad friend, Stephen. You're probably confusing out with Austin. I went to Austin for a wedding. Oh, that's right. That's right. I do remember that. That's correct. And then that's when that's when Texas lost, right? And so you got to see sad Texas fans. Yeah, I was on Rainy Street trying to uh, get some quotes, and everyone just that's right. I was I was, I was feeling a little tipsy, and I was like, "Hey, what are you guys thinking about uh, the loss tonight?" And they're just like, "F off." Yeah, that's good stuff. Oh, that's that's stuff you'll never forget. But anyways, we got a lot of stuff to talk about tonight, guys. We got like talks about recruits. We are going to talking about like the schedule for next year, maybe who like what who, what we're thinking in the playoffs, etc. What have you? Anyways, Oklahoma has 12 guys portaled in so far. You've got four dudes on the defensive line, a couple of offensive linemen, two tight ends, especially one today that's going to be a pretend, uh, a pretend, a preferred walk on. Uh, be a pretend have, player, yeah, pretend uh, player. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You have a couple guys in the defensive backfield, and Pearson McCullough, punter, and Andrell Anthony from Michigan, who's recent as well. So as of now, out of all these guys, because there have been several guys that have joined Oklahoma since we've last talked specifically Bothroyd Sears Rouse. Um, how, how many of you guys or which of these guys you guys, you can name them or just give me a number make an actual impact on this team starting next year in Chisholm. I'm coming first to you. How many guys actually make an impact? Well, how about this? I'll just rattle through the names that jump out to me. Uh, I think Trace Ford is an interesting name. If he can stay healthy, God knows he's talented. Uh, but that first part of the sentence is the most important one. So I'll say like a half point, right? Because like he's going to miss time. Like it's just a little bit kind of in, in, in the equation for him. Bothroyd, I assume, is going to be a starter walking in day one. Um, so let's go ahead and chalk him up as a contributor. Uh, McCullough uh, is going to be a starter on day one. I assume Pearson is going to be in competition for a, a starting safety spot, but I don't know if they'll go with the attrition of Key Lawrence or not, as opposed to, to him. 
Um, the offensive line stuff for Alice is going to be left tackle, so that's three for sure. Uh, Angel Anthony, I don't have a whole lot of hope for, but I'm just maybe I'm just the wrong guy to ask. Uh, so I'll go with like three and a half ish. Oh, Stogner as well. So four. Yeah, that's I don't know if this is getting better or worse. The fact that as I read this <laughs> list, more starters just keep appearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna go with like four for sure, and then a whole bunch of guys trying to compete for snaps. And Steven, what would you say? Yeah, Bothro would be a starter for me. Uh, Rouse, obviously, Stogner. Um, I think Pearson plays a little bit bigger role than we probably expect. I think he'll probably slot in as a starter, at least to begin the season. Uh, McCullough, obviously a starter. Uh, Question marks for me, maybe like Andrew Anthony, like where does he fit in? Because the coaching staff has been so high on him and he was such a priority um, in the transfer portal, despite not really doing too much at Michigan. Um, Ford, probably more of a situational player, so I wouldn't really call him a a starter, but he would contribute. so, I mean, you look at Schaefer, maybe a fringe starter guy, depending on how that shakes out. But really what I see is just a ton of depth um, that they can kind of work with and, and kind of make a competition with, especially in the offensive line. Yeah, it feels like a situation where they're definitely trying to address needs, uh, where they're also trying to address depth needs as well. I mean, Dudes like Schaefer, he's not a guy that I expect to come in and even really compete for snaps, but he's a guy that I would expect to come in and provide depth for the team. Um, I look at the guys on the defensive line. I think three of those four guys, when if, if healthy, would be playing. Sears is a guy that I don't see as a guy that's going to get in the rotation regularly. Maybe that's just me. I think Stogner's a must, right? I mean, heck, you lose Braden Willis. Um, then you still have Caden Helms, Jason Llewellyn still in the fold, and you get a preferred walk-on today uh, from A&M. Uh, Pearson and McCullough. Pearson, I mean, he's started all three years. He's been in, in the Big 12 at Tech, and then, I mean, I figured he was going to be in the mix at some point, just like every DB that Oklahoma had last year. McCullough definitely starts. I mean, he's not Big Ten Player of the Year, one, one of the one of the players of the year uh, on that first team for no reason. And there's definitely a reason why they got his brother involved too. I mean, like he's the real deal. I mean, it's good to be get a, get a punter, yay! Uh, and then that everybody else on your list had a name, and on the punter you just wrote one punter. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, you know, you, you hope you never have to mention their name. That's that's the whole key, Chisholm. You, you hope yeah. you have to never mention their name. I just hope this one's on. Uh, has like a, a TikTok channel or something, you know, mix it up here a little bit. Maybe a yeah. Twitch stream. Maybe he's a big Twitch streamer or Maybe something a like Twitch that. Streamer, yeah, Twitch streaming with Danny Stutzman. I got, mm. I remember when Turk would put like a $20 bill with Danny Stutzman on a fishing rod, on a fishing pole, and was like oh, yeah. people around campus corner for just like random videos. It's a great content. But I mean, one, one of the glaring issues that you guys kind of mentioned earlier is Andrew Anthony being the only wide receiver that's really come through the portal and Oklahoma definitely needs to address like Oklahoma feels like it's addressed. I mean, at least I I have, I feel like it's addressed the defensive line situation. They're in the middle of addressing the offensive line situation and the wide receiver room is an odd situation. Like the, the, the players they already have in house, the guys they're bringing in and then the guys are trying to portal in and Angel Anthony is not a guy that has really exploded onto the scene. And so 
Steven, I'll come to you first. Like, what, what would you say about the wide receiver room in general? And like, why Oklahoma may not be having that much success getting guys in from the portal? Well, it's, it's so fresh. I mean, they didn't have a wide receiver coach for so long that they have to establish a lot of things, especially Emmett Jones um, being here for what, maybe a week now. So um, other than that, there's a lot of attrition, obviously, um, with some Lincoln Riley guys leaving, um, new guys coming in that kind of fit Jeff Levy's offense, maybe a little bit better, maybe some some bigger body types than they had. So um, I'm sure they're not done at, at the wide receiver position. They're probably just going to wait um, either you know, see what's going to happen this week or after the spring. Jism, what do you think? Yeah, I think after the spring is probably the answer. Um, you know, Steven said earlier that they made Andrew Anthony a, a big priority. And, and priority can mean a lot of different things. Uh, my perception of it is that it was out of desperation because they had struck out on a bunch of guys. And, like, that's going to happen, right? You recruit kids and they decide to go somewhere else <clears> because of X, Y, or Z. But Andrew Anthony wasn't the first receiver they offered, right? Like, they, they've right. tried to land a bunch of guys out of the portal. And Anthony is the only one who's committed. So, um, I think that's a little bit like of a telling sign. They obviously realize that that's an area they need to fix. Um, they need more depth in and more guys they can kind of count on. Um, and they didn't get it. Um, so I think that tells us that either A, they're going to lean young, right? And we're going to see uh, Petaway and Gibson and all those kids um, try it out there, or they're going to we're trying to redress it in the spring, kind of like the uh, the Mike Wood situation a couple of years ago. So we'll see. I, I, I would say that is like one of the things that we all circle going into the offseason that remains unsolved. Yeah, and it feels like they they may have to go back to like a prior target and Tyrone brought in that we thought maybe he was an OU target and then OU found maybe another guy and he commits elsewhere and they might visit him back again. Uh, man, and like you like you said, like they could like who they have on campus right now that can catch a ball. And Gavin Gavin Freeman's eventually gonna get a scholarship. Drake Stoops is apparently going to come back for one more year. Jaleel Farouk is the guy you kind of trust as like the wide receiver to go to, I suppose. Now, I imagine Austin Stogner will be out wide a little bit more often than Braden Willis was last year. Uh, and then you'll have to find an actual fullback on the team uh, to play that role that Braden Willis did play this past year. And then you look at, you know, Jaquez Petaway, uh, you look at Jaden Gibson, Nick Anderson, um, and whoever else, all the trees that they're trying to bring in. I mean, it's an odd situation. And to what Steven also mentioned is like the whole wide receiver coach situation. Yeah. Like they didn't have a clear vision and, and it was pretty clear that Damian Washington was not going to be at Oklahoma. It felt that way from the beginning. And then of course, Oklahoma hires Emma Jones. We talked about it last week or so. Uh, he's now the wide receiver passing game coordinator. I mean, and so, Thinking about the roster, thinking who is in the room, thinking who's coming in, does he elevate the ceiling for players on the field in comparison to Ladamian Washington? Like, what what is the, does does the prop does the does the view on the field look a lot more efficient? Do they play a lot with a lot more execution just because he's done this a lot more in his life than maybe a guy like Ladamian Washington that was forced into this role? right before the season. Uh, Chisholm, what do you think? It's complicated. Uh, it gets a little bit into your, like your philosophy on what do you think of coaching? Um, LaDamian Washington might be the most wide receiving coach who's ever existed. We don't know yet, right? Like he's very early in his career. Like the kid, like he might be the Bill Belichick of wide receivers coach. We have no clue. Uh, my two cents on 
Emmett Jones versus Washington is I'm not going to say pretend like I, I I'm going to be able to identify. It's like, well, you see how on the in breaking route he cut and he you know planted his foot this way. That's an Emmett Jones thing, and like that wouldn't have happened last year with Washington here. I have no idea. The, the big difference is obviously Emmett Jones has great ties of the DFW area, and so I would say what is I don't know crippling is the wrong word. If if Emmett Jones would have been here earlier, maybe they stand a better chance of landing some guys out of the portal. If Emmett Jones would have been here earlier, maybe they get different guys in this recruiting cycle. You know, kind of late commitments like they did last year, uh, and he wasn't right. He he was at Tech, and he was kind of fulfilling his obligations there. So, I think that's the that's the backbreaker is on the recruiting. Who's on the roster? Who who am I counting towards this depth chart? A little bit less of like the evaluation and the growth. I think that's something that's going to take a couple of years to identify if it's going well. Right? Kale was always great at that. Um, we'll find out if Emma Jones is. I, I don't know, um, but yeah, I, I think I think the. The, the difference that we feel between Emma Jones and LaDamian Washington in this transition is the fact that it happens so late that it is impacting the roster, which is impacting the depth chart. Steven, what do you think? Yeah, just from a uh, player development standpoint, you just kind of look at the, what he's developed and like, like TJ Vasher, uh, Eric as a comma, um, guys that played some pretty good football in the Big 12. So I would expect it to be a little bit more clean in the wide receiver room, obviously. Um, Washington. I think he did the best he could, but you know, when you're that early in your career, um, you don't, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So um, I do expect the wide receiver room to improve from a player development standpoint, and both in recruiting, as you know, Jones does have all those connections with with Texas and especially the DFW area. Well, he certainly has Kale Gundy's seal of approval, as he did tweet out on Twitter. If that means anything to anybody. Um, but no, I, I think it's an interesting question to ask. I mean, what 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 four wide receivers trot out there? If Oklahoma has, you know, they're all, of course, you have your five linemen, five down, then you have a running back. Let's say it's Javante Bards, Gavin Sawchuk, name, insert name here. Who are the four wide receivers or four guys out wide um, past the numbers or what have you on, a, on that given play? Uh, Steven, I'm coming right back to you. Who do you expect to be out there? Especially if it is a passing down, maybe. Passing down, Farouk uh, and Stoops, obviously, out there. I think L.D. Bunkley-Shelton could probably get an expanded role. I think we were pretty high on him earlier. didn't really work out this season, but um, has the talent to kind of fill in in that men's role. And then uh, maybe a guy like J.J. Hester, because um, they want to go big. J.J. Hester is about 6'4", 2'10", somewhere around there. So, um if it's not Esther, it's probably a guy that they'll get in the portal at some point between here and the, the beginning of the season. Do you think uh, that, because I mean, there was a word that LV Bunker Shelton would maybe transfer after this year. Do you think Marvin Mims tra- or going to the NFL uh, is making him maybe rethink things? Probably a little bit because that opens up the room quite a bit. If Mims returns, I'm sure Shelton finds a better opportunity for himself. And so Chisholm, again, OU's throwing out four out wide. It, does, it doesn't all, all have to be wide receivers. Who, who, do you, who do you expect to be on the field? Yeah, Farouk and Stoops are the easy ones. Uh, you see those guys are going to play a majority of the snaps, Stoops and Slot. I think the outside, right, the guy who's opposite of Farouk is going to be the big question mark going into next year. Um, they've recruited a bunch of tall guys lately, right? The Nick Anderson, Jaden Gibson, and then uh, Angel Anthony are all taller receivers. I don't know if that's on purpose or not, right? I don't know if that's just these are the most talented guys. These are 
you know, we're going best player available kind of a thing, or if that's like a stylistic choice. Because mm-hmm. if it is, then I assume it's one of those guys. Yeah. Um, the guy who I think is the most interesting, who I think actually might have the quickest way onto the field next year, is Petway because he is so much faster than anyone else they have on the roster. He just brings something different, right? Like if you want a tall guy, again, I just named three guys who are over six two, right? So those are all three guys kind of you know fighting for the same role. LV Buckley, Shelton, uh, you know, and you know, it, it like anyway. So there's just a lot of guys kind of all doing the same thing. But Petway is that speedster who can stretch a defense. Uh, and so I wonder if he gets a little bit quicker of a path onto the field just based off of the skill set that he brings. It's different than the other guys in the room. Um, so I would go pet away and then, you know, LB Buckley, Sheldon, or, you know, one of the other more experienced guys who we didn't see a ton of last year sneaking on. Basically, from what I understand in this wide receiver room slash scheme, you either want really tall guys or really fast guys, or in addition, if you can get those really tall, fast guys, you win twice, brother. <laughs> that's true. Uh, so, so that's basically <laughs> what this offense is, is like geared towards is basically just like, can you run a four, four? Okay. Are you a six, four, you know, basically, or, you know, that's basically the parameters. And if you can combine them, why not? And so speaking of players transferring in, especially like Oklahoma's on the search for wide receivers, definitely because you feel like, yeah, they're still working on the offensive line. They got the defensive line pretty much sorted out, or at least somewhat sorted out. Only one person that's transferred out of OU out of the cycle, which I believe there have been, there's several, like at least 13. Um, Only one of them has gone to a power five school. What does that say about the previous regime? Does that say anything about them? Or is is that a bigger issue like with how many players have joined the portal? And Chisholm, I'm going to you with that. It's hard to know. I, I Yeah, I mean, I think, first off, it's a majority of defensive guys, right? It's, and I think no OU fan would be shocked to hear that maybe the defensive guys who are playing at Oklahoma weren't Power 5 caliber players. Um, I mean, didn't Ellison just go to, was it Memphis today? Not sure. Yeah, it was Memphis. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's... It tracks for me. It's not shocking for me. Uh, Theo Weiss being the one guy who went to a power five school in Missouri, right, is also yeah. not shocking to me because I think Theo Weiss is pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's any big referendum. Like, is that big news for anybody that maybe the the defense wasn't super talented? <laughs> like, I think we all kind of knew. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it speaks on the other coaching staff. kind of speaks to the, where the roster is right now. And, you know. It, it talks about kind of that turn we talked about Brent Venables coming in uh, is that he's got to turn this roster over and get guys who are on the lower totem pole from talent and replace them with guys who are higher on the totem pole. That's kind of what this looks like is guys transferring out landing in Memphis. And so like, like you just said there, especially when you talked about Brent Venables getting his guys in and like him growing this program and earlier, earlier, like in the podcast, like I don't know how many months ago it was, but you mentioned that, if you want a, if you want schematically players to grow into that scheme, you're gonna, you're gonna want to choose those younger players over those over those older those play, older players, which yeah. uh, we'll get to in a, in a second. But um, Brett Venables got in and to Norman into the defensive room and found out because of like not only just the coaching that went on or didn't go on, um, and then apparently the draft trashing that was uh, told uh, by Nick Benito and confirmed by several other defensive players that Alex Grinch trashed him on draft draft scouts uh, reports that the players had 
a very low football IQ on a def- as a defensive standpoint and very low field awareness just by the way they had been coached or lack thereof because it was mostly man, which I think is really intriguing because now they're being asked to do such intricate things and sure you see flashes of them, but it's just, it's, I mean, it's not surprising to see that many guys that haven't worked out that Brent has an open door policy, like you said, and, a lot of these guys were not going to play in his scheme, and he he's bringing in a lot of transfers. And I don't think it's going to be any coincidence that he's bringing in a lot of defensive guys on the recruiting classes as well. I mean, Stephen, what do you think? Yeah, I think there's a combination of just maybe some bad evaluations, but also guys that just don't fit Brent Vanderbilt's scheme, um, and guys that just they don't have the production numbers to go anywhere. You know, that's in like the Power Five, so. I mean, you can look at guys like David Aguebu who had moments. He flashed some, some skill here, but he's just not twitchy enough to play linebacker. Um, Clayton Smith, uh, another guy that had a ton of talent, but he's one-dimensional. He plays one direction. He's, he's fast going forward, so he's on the edge. So it was guys that play a singular direction. And, and Brent Vindle's offense, you have to be more twitchy, more versatile, more physical, and those guys just don't fit. What I thought was odd was – when Grinch was in Norman, Josh Ellison played a lot, and Isaiah Coe kind of played second fiddle to Josh Ellison. And then under Venables, Josh Ellison couldn't even see the field, and Isaiah Coe was on the field all the time. And I wonder if that's a personal thing. If I wonder if that's a coaching staff thing. I don't. I don't even know what happened there. Like, do you have any? Do you guys have any clue about any of that? Let's patch yeah, up. Ellison's a guy that that they recruited. Um, he's a quicker guy, whereas. Um, Coe is maybe a little bit more physical, can sit in the trenches, can fight off some blocks, um, can kind of stuff up the the run in the middle there. So uh, it's just a, a different mentality as far as those two players, whereas Ellison doesn't really fit a guy that can clog the running lanes. And Chisholm, what do you think about maybe Isaiah Coe starting over Josh Ellison so often this year in comparison to Ellison seeing the field so much last year or the years prior? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's... The age is, you know, the story's age is the story is old as time, uh, which is one guy is in one coach's doghouse and the other guy comes in and all of a sudden, you know, now he's he's one over the job because everybody starts at square one, right? Which is what Brent will talk about. Um, Brent talked about when he took the job is kind of everyone gets a fresh start who's been here for a while. And so Isaiah Coe falls in that. Josh Ellison falls into that. I've always thought Isaiah Coe was more talented. Um, I thought he was a little bit more chaotic. Hmm. Um, and I would say like my two cents on maybe why that is, is to Steven's point about stylistically, stylistically and not fitting. Uh, if you're Josh Ellison and you're playing a, a Grinch running defense, right? It's all about rush lanes and making sure that you're staying in your rush lanes because if they break contain, they're gone, which we saw a whole bunch of. Um, and Josh Ellison being able to get up feels an advantage. But Isaiah Coe was a little bit more of a, I'm going to try to bowl somebody over. Uh, it seemed like he was a little bit less sound in that way. I think in, in Brent Venable's defense, which is a little bit more about disruption and causing a pile, uh, I think that's a little bit more suited towards Co. Um, so I just think it's it's one guy does a little bit better what the other coach says, kind of like what Steven says. And then also, again, he gets a fresh start. And I think I think him, I think Co and Grinch didn't see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. Um, but then when you know Brent comes in, he doesn't know any of that. So everybody gets a square one. I was, well, I was just pretty shocked. Recognize his commitment. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that one. Oh, that was the most committed and and no one said anything. I think Andy Hansen retweeted him, and that was it. Nobody said anything. (laughs) 
Um, and then I thought I thought it was just so interesting that you know you saw Isaiah Co. And then before Isaiah Co. ever came in, you had Grayson Halton come in. It's just interesting, like who, like you just said, Chisholm, like whose coaching doghouse are you in, or whose coaching stylistic as Stephen as you referenced, like what do you fit the most? And speaking of fitting the style of play the most. David Igwebu just is transferring. Uh, he's in the transfer portal, and it got weird really fast. Uh, there were a lot of folks that suggested they were happy that he was transferring, which was odd. Uh, I mean, like, I mean, like, as far as like good, he's transferring instead of like good for him transferring. Um, and then, then there were suddenly sooner players on Twitter like defending him because of it. It was the most odd situation, but at the same time, <laughs> it also feels like the writing is on the wall as far as who is likely to start at linebacker this coming year, or at least that's how I feel. And so, uh, Steven, what do you think about like this whole, first of all, this whole Guaybu situation. And then like, maybe intentions to transfer. Yeah, I think a lot of it just stems from frustrations with the fan base. And you could just relate it to like the, the Justin Broyles situation where he's out there, but everyone knows he's not going to be able to make the plays he needs to make. So um, it's some just frustrations with the fan base. It's shitty. They probably shouldn't have done that. Just wish him good luck. You know, thanks for your time in Norman. Um, but David Aguebu, I guess from, from what all the players are saying, that he's a great leader, great guy, um, great guy in the locker room. So I don't think there's any hard feelings that he left, at least within the building. But for the fan base, it was kind of a shitty moment from them. Chisholm, what do you think? I think I'm a great hang on Friday nights, but you don't want to play middle linebacker for your college football team. You know, and so like, like I'm positive all those guys love him, right? Like, why would they say mm -hmm. that if they didn't? Right. You can be a great guy. <laughs> And you could do all the right things and and still struggle at your job playing collegiate football. It's really hard. That's why there's only 500 guys in the NFL for three years, right? Yeah, there's there's only 500 guys who do it professionally, right? And so like it, it's it's a tough task. Um, and so like yeah, I, I think I think the fans' evaluation uh, was right. Now again, to Stephen's point, do we need to be tweeting that guy whenever he announces right. that he's leaving? Probably not. But like. David Aguebu had really tough moments over the course of his career at Oklahoma. He had some moments where he looked pretty good, but a lot of, oh gosh, man, I wish you were two steps faster. Um, and so like, you know, it's just the rock and the hard place. When a really, really good guy is struggling publicly, it, it creates a tough situation. So I get the players defending him. I get the fans being frustrated. Again, what I tweet at him, no. As long as no one says anything, just absolutely asinine. You know, it just kind of is what it is um, for me. Is it also hard to not see this as far as many people when Jaron Canick came through OU thought he was going to be a cheetah and it doesn't appear to be that he will be playing a cheetah position that he will be purely a linebacker in Brent's system. And as, as you've seen, like instead of being a guy on the edge that does set the edge in, in something that David Aguayu probably actually could do, um, you're asking him to play like center field sometimes uh, where he, again, like you said, Chisholm, he's a step or two or three slow and covering uh, big 12 quarterbacks, not even running backs. And then you you see a guy like Jaron Canick who has so much IQ as such a young football player is incredibly fast and physical. Do, do, do we feel like there's like a, a sense of writing on the wall as far as who may get more reps or who made the, who made who the coaching staff may be leaning towards more 
just as purely by a scheme base as we saw Jaron Canick grow throughout the season. Um, uh, Jaron Canick is a good guy to assume is going to take a step forward. The linebacker room, I uh, frankly, the defense I'm fascinated by. I think we all expect to have a three, three, five, uh, going into next year because that's what Brent has talked about. Like the dream of a three, three, five. Um, I wonder how he feels about that after the national championship game. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's just interesting, right. <laughs> of like, of what that's going to look like. But does that mean, does that mean two linebackers and three safeties? And two corners, or does that mean three corners and two safeties? I don't know. And so, like, I, I played a lot with the who do I think is going to be the starting lineup based off which direction I think he's going to go in that department. Um, but as far as linebackers go, yeah, Jaron Canick is a good guy to assume is going to play a little bit better of a spot. Um, and and as all these guys transfer, I mean, Jalen Redmond was like my prime example of like here's a talented player, here's a guy who has been productive, who makes no sense, no sense in Brinsky, mm. uh, and he has struggled before, you know. And I so I think going to the NFL. I always told him to transfer, but going to the NFL makes sense for him. Come back to Oklahoma. All it's going to do is kind of hurt his snock because he's not going to perform well. There was guys like that on this defense. Um, Is it fair to ask them to do that? My point all year was no, Um, but you know, it it kind of was what it was. Um, So yeah, I mean, as Brent gets in guys that make sense for him, they're going to look better in those positions because they're recruited to do those things. Uh, Brent was shoving with his whole fist, a square peg through a round hole for majority of the year defensively. And it makes some of those guys look bad, you know, and I, frankly, I don't get it, but you know, I'm not a football coach. So Steven, what's your take? Do you think Jaron Canick has anything or the depth in the linebacker room, as far as the guys that Brent has on campus pushes the away, knowing that he may not be the best fit for what Brent's going to be asking them to do <laughs> next year when taking a step forward. Yeah, Canning's probably a big part of that. Um, obviously, a guy that that's pretty raw. And we we saw that this year. I think a lot of people saw his highlights and thought he was just a plug and play kind of guy. But yeah, um, really only played. You know, the defense. Clemson linebacker story, man, about him like being in love with Brent <laughs> and wanting to decommit. Like seriously, like when yeah. all that stuff came out about him like being, fe- you know, just oh, I got to go play for Brent. It was like almost like all of a sudden, like prime Rufus Alexander was going to be committing to Oklahoma. Like <laughs> yeah. Rufus as a, as a senior, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't it was, help. people just lost their minds yeah. about that story. Does not help that it, there was the highlight tape of him trucking everybody on the field came out like conveniently around that time. <laughs> it was on, it, I think it was on ESPN. So, Gosh. Um, but I think like a guy, a guy like Kip Lewis could also push David Aguayo out. A guy that's mm-hmm. pretty fast, pretty physical. Who has concrete um, in their helmet? Is it Lewis or is it McKenzie? I can't remember what who Brent said has concrete in their helmet. It's my favorite. I think it's quote. McKenzie. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm cheering for concrete head. And that's another guy that that's coming off injury. So we'll see how he looks in the spring. Um, if you get tickets, you there, put concrete so. in your helmet. Yeah. <laughs> Probably shouldn't do that. But you know, it's it's a it's a good point. I mean, like he does not fit the scheme. There is there are several players in the draft, not in the draft. There are, well, in the draft, but also the transfer portal. Simply told, you do not fit this. This is not going to help you. You should maybe find elsewhere uh to play other than oklahoma just simply Reggie just Grimes because... is the guy i'm surprised is still here frankly but... yeah i mean like i mean there there are no, a lot no, of guys that he's are, are here if he was more take. power to him but like he's very obviously like lost his snaps right like he's going to be fighting for snaps he was a starter last oh, yeah. year oh yeah you know the kid whose name i can't say bothroid mm-hmm. uh, is obviously going to be taking his job <laughs> trace forward's going to be behind him like at pj at a at a at a Bure. PJ, 
Like everybody, you know, he's apparently the Death Star coming to Norman. Like I'm just, I can't believe Reggie Grimes is here. There, there, there are several guys that are still here that I, I still have questions about, and maybe we see that come to fruition in the spring. Uh, but I, I'm just, I'm just intrigued by it. But the, I'm what I'm, gosh, what I'm really curious about specifically. I mean, the next Big Twelve schedule and possibly the last one for Oklahoma and Texas is going to be released pretty soon. It was within like the next two weeks, what, two weeks ago. So sometime maybe this week, uh, the Big 12 schedule may be released. And I wonder, out of all the opponents, because now you don't have to play everybody in the league, what the schedule would look like. Do you think the Big 12 would possibly overtly just give a middle finger to the to the leaving to the departing teams, or do you think the Big Twelve is bigger than that? We all agree that they're going to play Bedlam. There's like this that, weird like they don't they, you know they don't have to. I'm like yeah I know they don't have to, but like, they're they not going to not play Bedlam. That would be insanity. I think I think I think they will. Um, and it's that... in Stillwater. It's even you know it's like another little like. We're going to make Oklahoma go to Stillwater for the last bedlam. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many reasons of why they would. But at the same time, I could also see them maybe pulling the plug on the idea because everything in Stillwater is kind of melting down, and they maybe don't want that last bedlam to look like, you know, 55 to 10. It's a massacre. It'd be way bigger than 55 to 10. Yeah. As as, as we stand on paper right now, yeah, that's what it feels like. It's it's odd. I just can't imagine. They they just they choose to end Bedlam willingly a year early. But maybe I'm you know, no, I don't think so either. I don't think they would. How could you? It's the last one. But yeah, no, they're definitely going to pro money maker. So, I mean, yes. that's, yeah, it's going to drive money right. for the entire conference, but for sure, but they're definitely going to Provo a hundred percent. Like there's just no way they're not sending those guys out to Utah. Yeah. Uh, I would the, say that it's like the brands are too strong. The brands are too strong, and the game would be on ESPN by the least. Right. I, I, so people think they're going to go to Orlando and play. I don't think so because Florida is too good of recruiting grounds. I don't think yeah. they're going to send them to Florida. Like, hey, go, go compete against the whole reason this team is joining our conference. And so everyone has access to Florida. Right. So I don't think they're going there. Now, Cincinnati, that feels a little bit more, more possible. Right. And so, like, I think that's, those are the two teams that are coming in that I would chalk up as like, because they're not going to Houston for the same reason they're not going to Orlando. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to send them to Cincinnati. I think they're going to send them to, to, to Provo and like just chalk that up. Do you, th- there's a ch- do you think there's a chance that Oklahoma doesn't get to Texas, the state of Texas, once this entire year besides the Red River shootout or whatever they're calling it these days? Texas, Texas going to be at home. Baylor? Did they play Baylor? They played at Baylor home this year. So I guess technically they don't have to play that game. So. Steven, what do you think? Do you think OU's at any te- in any te- in in Texas at all besides the one in Dallas, which they um, aren't even hosting recruits at? Yeah, I could see the Big Twelve being petty enough to just kind of kick them out of the recruiting grounds. Um, I think you might get into Texas once outside of the the OU Texas game, but other than that, I'm pretty sure all of their away games are going to be elsewhere. What's the worst home schedule they can give them this year? Was OU Can't. a home team or a road team last year at, at Red River? I can never remember. They, they it were was, home. I think it was, yeah, so this would be in the way. They were home. So, no, so the Red River will be an away game this year. Okay, so they should have five the, home games, right? Yeah. 
They're going to give him a crappy one. I assume they're going to play. Oh, gosh. I assume they're going to play Houston because Houston's not going to be very good. I assume they're going to play UCF. That nice little Dylan Gabriel revenge game. That'll be fun. West Virginia. Maybe KU. I I imagine KU too. Just give them a crappy home schedule. (laughs) I was thinking like (laughs) Iowa State. Or yeah, or Kansas. Kansas is a fun team now. Yeah, they're they are a fun team. That's why. That's why. Yeah, that's why I was like, coached. I don't know. Lance Leopold, man, he's doing things. Yeah, they're competently coached now. It's it's wild when 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 that happens. Yeah. Okay. Here's my official guess. I wrote it down. Okay. Red River, at Oklahoma State, at BYU, at Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, West Virginia, Iowa State. That's my official Big Twelve guess. <sighs> I mean, like. I'm definitely into going to Provo and Cincinnati. That's great TV. That's on ESPN both times. But I'm, I'm, the rest of the schedule is just a bunch of ick besides tech. I mean, not tech, but uh, Texas. Yeah. What, what do you, uh, Stephen, what do you think? They about wanna, that one? Well, they wouldn't want to play like Kansas State so they can maybe lose a game or something or TCU. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're trying to rack up losses on Oklahoma as opposed to giving them crappy games. I don't know. That's true. I'm sure they play TCU, right? You think it's that'll, in, that'll be one you think of the it's in Dallas? Teams. You think it's in yeah, DFW or Norman? So you get, it's 2009 you the big, Dallas big 12. 2009 Big 12 making this schedule? Because if they if they are, then they're not playing TCU because they want TCU to be undefeated. Gosh. Yeah, I mean, they're stacking the deck. <laughs> it would be intriguing. Oh, gosh. it's uh, <laughs> There's so many things that, like, of course, like, if something is off at, like at least a little bit, somebody's going to complain about it. I'm just really curious about what the schedule is going to look like. Um, but we'll, we'll find out soon enough, but I hope there is a game in Provo because that would be really, that would really showcase I'd if be Oklahoma. Stunned if there wasn't, if yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great moneymaker. Everybody's going to watch it. And, and then it's a also crappy recruiting trip for Oklahoma. It's, it's perfect. Yeah, that it too. is like the, like perfect the big 12 storm. wins. The big 12 the wins. Perfect storm. Man, but I guess you get national exposure if you're OU. But that, if you, if you do win in Provo, oh, you get some national exposure just for like walking outside the sneezing. That's fair. Ain't going six and seven. Uh, speaking <laughs> of, <laughs> speaking of, Oklahoma led the Big Twelve in yards per game, rushing yards per game, interceptions, and tackles for loss. Finished the season actually twentieth in S and P plus, twelfth uh, on offense, and sixty sixth on defense. Defense, which nobody's surprised by. And 32 on special teams. They finished the season six and seven. I thought that was a little bit odd. And what does that maybe suggest to us other than it do stats lie? Or is this team better than we thought it was? Or what the heck what 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 does this stat suggest, if anything, to you? Does it mean anything? Is this an attack on on big data? I'm just curious. I'm just asking. I was very I was very surprised when I saw Oklahoma was even top 25 and that their offense was 12th. And I was surprised that their defense was even close to 50, 50, then closer to, <laughs> to, to, to 100. The stats do the defense to carry them at times. Uh, I mean, this team is a, what they lost five games by one score. So they're not to sound like Lincoln Riley. They're, they're not way off. They're close. They're just a handful of plays away. So. If this, the record was not uh, reflective of how well they played. Chisholm, what do you think? Do you think this this that that stat means anything? Does that mean anything? Uh, I mean, it, yeah. I mean, every all numbers mean something. I would actually disagree with Stephen. I'm sorry. I don't mean to go sports radio on you, uh, but I disagree. Um, 
Kansas State, Kansas State could have named their score, right? Like they could have ran the ball for 700 yards that day. And Oklahoma was not going to stop them. Uh, and so that game got one score because they scored a touchdown with like 40 seconds left to go from like 14 to seven or you know 13 to six or whatever it ended up being. Uh, so they pulled it. They pulled it within one score late, um, basically with an onside kick of a prayer. Baylor Squirrel Williams sat down at the 10 yard line, right, and could have punched it in to go up two scores. Like, there's context with all these games. Some of the games that were close, Oklahoma actually didn't really have a chance to win late, and some of the games that there was a larger margin, Oklahoma had a better chance to win. Uh, so, like that one score loss thing is a little tough for OU this past year. Here's what I would say: is that Oklahoma was a good ba- a, a good football team last year, largely. They were awful in crucial situations. Awful. Like, do I need to recite the third down stat for everybody just to live through post-mortem again? Probably not. <laughs> and so like that, like that, that, like what, why did Oklahoma, why did Oklahoma lose so many games last year? It's because they sucked on third down. They were terrible in the red zone in fourth quarters and their defense couldn't get a stop past six minutes. Like it, like, so numbers wise, I'm sure they're a great team, but like when the chips were on the table, so to speak, Right, this team crumbled over and over and over again. That's what we talked about. We weren't talking about like this defense doesn't know what they're doing, or mm-hmm. holy cow, this scheme sucks, or Dylan Gabriel should be in Division Two. Like we were disappointed, but we were disappointed because in big moments they weren't able to make plays, and so like that's not captured in numbers, right? Like mm-hmm. remembering the way that Baylor just ran that ball down their throat for the last three drives, like that's that's not going to show up in, in SP Plus and stuff like that. So the biggest adjustment Oklahoma can make is time management against West Virginia, right? Finding a way to stop the run against Kansas state and Baylor uh, and finding a way to punch yourself into the end zone. um, You know, uh, in some of these other, in some of these red zones and converting on third downs, crucial downs is what killed Oklahoma last year, killed Oklahoma, not, not racking up 40 yard plays on first down. That that was my whole problem with the Jeff Levy offense is it could get me 60 yards whenever I didn't need it. But the moment I had to have three yards, I just had to have three yards. There was no shot, mm-hmm. no shot. And so, like, that's just not going to show up in numbers. Do we feel like that those things will be less of an issue? Not they'll still be an issue, but do, you, do we think there'll be less of an issue in the subsequent year coming into this season? I grew up cheering for Andy Reid, <laughs> so I just want to go ahead and go on the record and say that sometimes coaches don't figure that shit out. <laughs> Like you think they're going to figure it out. And sometimes they don't. Some coaches do. Right. And so like, I just don't know. I just, you know, I'm sure 99% of Oklahoma fans and rightfully so think that all the game management, all the clock management stuff that was just frankly abysmal last year. Like that's going to be mistakes they made one time and they're going to kind of learn from it and that that won't happen again. And it very well could. But again, I've watched Andy Reid for two decades. Never know when to take a timeout. <laughs> never know when to spike the ball. Like, Cost like cost him chances at the Super Bowl over and over and over again. Hey, I like my so. timeouts all in the damn first quarter. Okay, Chisholm, I just <laughs> yeah, want to throw like, that out there. Yeah, you know, so it's just, I maybe I I am again. It, it's my scarred history of Andy Reid, but I'm just always way more skeptical. <laughs> just assume that coaches are going to figure that out. Stephen, what do you think? Do you think this thing? This do you think any of this could be uh, solved, or maybe I don't know. Uh, alleviated if you will just a little bit are you talking about the the coaching or when you have to have the answer is yes okay uh the the idea that this team could be more effective and execute more in crucial situations despite not actually having marvin mims out there um on third down or just making those plays in those crucial moments in which they have to like when they are getting off the field 
I do think they'll improve. I don't think it's a result of the coaching. Um, Talent-wise, across the offensive line has gotten better. Um, Sawchuck, obviously, is a huge addition to the offense. I mean, I love Eric Gray, but Eric Gray at times wasn't the power runner you needed on the the short down situation. Sometimes he got it. Sometimes, you know, that size just showed up. It just wasn't wasn't his forte. So um, I think it will improve to an extent, and that's just because of talent and body types getting better i think that's fair and speaking of the kind of talent that's coming in i mean dylan gabriel finally declares that he's coming back it was the oddest time like if he was knowing whether or not he was gonna declare for the draft didn't really what didn't really make much sense if he would like we talked about it previously like what round he might go to it wouldn't make sense at all for him to transfer so it was his options realistically were draft or stay and ultimately was stay. Um, and then you have a recruit at the caliber of a Jackson Arnold. Of course, has never played at the collegiate level. If you're a QB2, you're the most popular person in the world, especially if the, if the world knows you are a talented prospect coming out of high school. Does Jackson Arnold mean anything as far as Dylan Gabriel's rear view mirror and how he may be pushed in the quarterback room? Does is that does that mean anything, especially if you know that Arnold maybe has a package, you know, kind of designed specifically for him, maybe that requires two or three plays? I do think it it, it does matter. Um, am I do I think Dylan Gabriel thinks he's gonna lose his starting spot now? But the margin for error is a lot less than it was if you had like a Davis Bevel behind you. Mm. God knows Davis Bevel's not taking snaps from anybody <laughs> ever. Yep. <laughs> Under any circumstances. Um, he's really he's, good he's at hitting the ball. He's off. a gnarly wide receiver, though. You get that guy out there on a crack block. Holy cow. Let me tell you. Um, I still don't know why they didn't put anybody else out there to play wide receiver the entire second half. Um do I think it matters? Yes. I think it matters really similarly to when Dylan Gabe, or sorry, when uh, Spencer Rattler had Caleb Williams behind him, uh, when Spencer Rattler is behind Jalen Hurts, right? Like it matters in that way, where if things go south, there is a leash. Dylan Gabriel could have thrown seven interceptions in a game this year, and God knows we weren't seeing anybody else. God knows, right? And so, like, I think that's how it matters is that now there is a little bit of accountability and responsibility of like, if this thing goes really sour, we can try someone else, right? Like we could give someone else another crack at this thing. Last year, they couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. And so it matters in that way. I don't, I, I, I don't know if I talked about it on this podcast before, but I, I'm really interested to see what Brent does with freshmen again, because goodness <laughs> gracious, was there a lot of opportunity for freshmen to play this past year? And it feels like yeah. they didn't get a ton. Uh, and so I don't know if that's like a freshman don't play for Brent kind of a thing, which is fine. I'm not saying that's wrong, right? Lots of coaches have that policy and it works out pretty well for them. Uh, or if that was just the crop of freshmen that he had. Um, so I'm excited. I'm interested to see what that says. So that's why I've, whenever someone tells me like, Hey, Jackson Arnold could come unseat Dylan Gabriel at some point during the season. I'm like, I mean, did we watch some of those defensive players play this year? Right. With, with freshmen sitting behind him. I mean, Whenever we talked about Jared Canick to uh, Ted Roof, he said, yeah, he played 11 snaps in the second half. Like, that was his defense for why, you know, Jared Canick never played. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's just how they how they be freshmen. So, I think snaps are hard to come by for young guys in this team. But I'm I'm very willing to be proved wrong if Petaway starts and, you know, 
a whole bunch of different stuff happens. So we'll see. But as far as pushing Gabriel, I think it's just the fact that now the backup has a chance to actually be able to do something as opposed to whatever Davis Bevel was last year. Yeah, you who's still on the team, by the way. I'm surprised he's also still here. Yeah, God, goodness. <laughs> it's 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 it, it's just interesting that you know who's coming back, and then you add Arnold to the room, and suddenly you don't necessarily feel the idea that running Gabriel is more of a risk knowing what was behind him with bevel. I mean, like there were times in which I was thinking, why would you run a read option in which Gabriel would have the option to run knowing he's already had a broken collarbone with a similar situation. And you have Davis bevel right behind him who cannot has, who has no pocket awareness or pocket <laughs> presence or many skills that can't require move, him to throw. work in the offense. Yeah. It's, it's pretty tough. Um, and so now great guy though, really... let me tell you, he's a leader <laughs> in the locker room. This guy is amazing. Great attitude. Days. He has an amazing personality. I mean, first one in last one out, no doubt about it. No doubt. Uh, but it, it's, it, it's interesting. And I'll, I'm very curious to see if there are legitimate packages in which, uh, Jackson Arnold is used in which Gabriel's taken out the field and what that might mean, especially if, you know, Gabriel has a bad day and, if you might hear chirps from the stands, like you heard with Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams, which I think was the oddest, one of the oddest moments I've seen um, in Norman, but let's talk more about the playoffs that happened. So the playoffs are really fun. The two semifinal games, super fun to watch. They were fantastic. And then the national title game was just a complete thrashing. Like, actual ragdoll of Georgia just beating the crap out of TCU. <laughs> I, I knew it was going to happen. I did not feel like it was going to be at least this bad. Am I wrong for thinking it? I did not think it was going to be this bad. You're talking about TCU, um, Georgia? Oh, yeah. I thought everyone thought TCU is probably going to get run over because it's one thing to push Michigan around. They looked pretty overrated physically. Everybody knew what Georgia was. Just, I teased him to 21 and a half, and I thought I, I had a chance of with a backdoor cover. Let me tell you, I did not. I did not have a chance of a backdoor <laughs> cover on that one. Uh, I also, this is, no one do this at home. Uh, and if you're the feds, this is not count. This is not an admission of guilt. Uh, I did live bet Georgia minus 54 and a half just to say I did it. Because 54 and a half is a ridiculous game yeah. spread. Um, and it covered. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I made God. money on it. Um, yeah, I thought just, TCU TCU had some talent, and I thought they would. I thought they would like have like some moments where like Max Duggan like like that first drive. Yeah, I thought that would happen like three times. Mm -hmm. You know, and like Georgia scores fifty points, and TCU scores like twenty one. Like that, mm -hmm. that's kind of what my expectation was. I was not expecting the Georgia defense just being mm, we're good with whatever you're doing. We're just good. I was I was shocked that it was that score. Uh, I mean, like the, that argument with Trayvon Boykin and them feels a lot less uh, a lot less legitimate these days. I mean, when you consider who, who makes it the national title and who's allowed to compete for that national title, especially once you get blown out sixty five to seven. But at the same time, you could say that for Oklahoma and LSU and Oklahoma and their unfortunate status with USC and all their other fail failures of the cultural playoff. Um, it was shocking. I mean, 
to see TCU get just get battered like that from almost the beginning of the game to the very end of the game. It felt like if TCU maybe had, yeah, like sure, four weeks a month to prepare, they might have stood more of a chance to Georgia, like we were talking about, like fifty <laughs> something to twenty something. Um, but I felt like a week later or a week and a half later, whatever it was, you're playing a team. You already you already beat a team that was like roster wise better than you. Um, and it was close at the end. And then the very next week or and a half or whatever, you're going to play the very best team in college football. And I thought there was no way in hell they would have an ounce of, or a shred of ability to beat that team. Steven, did you, what, what did you, what did you think about that? I thought Quentin Johnson would be more of a factor. I think he maybe had just one reception that entire game. And we, we talked about, that matchup of Quentin Johnson versus Keely Ringo or in the, the uh, Georgia secondary, uh, pretty much a non-factor there. TCU's running back, their starting running back was out, so that's not going to help you at all. Uh, yeah. um, I, I mean, that three-three-five against Georgia's offensive line, I mean, they just tore him up. So, uh, How do you feel about that being like Venable's base defense going into the SEC? Like, that's his plan. Not, not as good as uh, I felt earlier in the season. Yeah. After watching the Georgia I, game, I feel less if, confident in that that scheme. If Brent said that, like the th- the three three five is the way of the future going into the SEC, I'd be very unhappy with it. But I mean, like we all know that they don't have the bodies to run a four man front, like a regular four man front, right. like they do, like they, that he did at Clemson. So he would always pivot to the three three five. So until they were able to recruit enough guys and transfer enough guys in. I think they have to run the three three five, which I don't think is something he actually wants to do. But I mean, yeah, like, the only saving grace there would be that Oklahoma could probably land better defensive linemen eventually down the road than than TCU could. Um, and they got close this year with, with Hicks, and they'll probably have a good shot at Stone here. So that would be the only positive um, heading that direction. I'm tired of being close when it comes out to closing out the biggest names in college football as far as on the defensive line. I mean, how many, how many, how many names has it been? It's like several over the, the last, last recruiting cycles. Several. Like Redmond would be the last big time defensive line. Oh, that's terrible. And before that, you have what, Gallimore maybe? Uh, Ronnie Perkins. Ronnie Perkins, that's true. Like, what the hell, man? <laughs> but this season, I mean, you had a, you had Vassett committed. Yeah. We're pretty close with Hicks. So. Maybe you don't uh, go I mean, to Texas and play a quarterback, a wide receiver. You might still have Vasek. Yeah. yeah. The NIL seems to be getting very organized at this point for Oklahoma. So gives them a shot. I just I hate being close. I, 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 you know, I just like to get those one of those guys every once in a while. It'd be nice. I don't know. Drop I mean, they flipped back. Peyton Bowen twice. So, I mean, hey. they're winning as many as they're losing, my guy. <laughs> hey. They're doing okay. I hate you to know. be the positive one. That's not my role in this show. But they're doing okay. <laughs> it's weird when it's weird on Twitter when all that stuff happens, specifically with Walter Rouse and dudes like that that um, are pretty are viewed pretty positively. And he commits to Nebraska um, from Stanford, and then he subsequently flips his commitment to Oklahoma. And people want to then suggest well, Oklahoma with their with their donor money flipped all that commitment despite the fact that several of those same individuals and institutions and groups of people 
I've been calling Oklahoma broke. So it's very confusing to, to navigate that kind of mental activity as far as like, is Oklahoma broke or do they have money or only a specific amount of money when a use for tampering, who knows? I have no idea how it works out, but who's not having anything work out for them realistically. And I, I, I've Chisholm, I've seen, uh, I mean, you maybe talk about this a little bit. I think everybody has kind of talked about it a little bit. The bottom kind of falling out of Mike Gundy's program. It feels like, like it feels like none, none of anything what has happened. Maybe recently because they've had some transfers in, sure, uh, but none of anything what has happened to them this offseason can be explained as anything relatively good, right? What is the most positive thing you guys can think of that's happened to Oklahoma State this offseason? Because even if you said Alan Bowman, they, uh, I would just say, yeah, because they lost Spencer Sanders. Oh, gosh. And then they, they told Spencer commitment. Sanders to shove it, which yeah, is an amazing did. stance that they did. <laughs> yeah, they really did when he asked to come back. I think that commitment, uh, was it yesterday? From the kid that was choosing between Air Force and OSU? Yes. That's pretty good. Did, did you see the headline of that story on, uh, I think it was on Rivals. Did you, I, they, I, I, I swear to God, Kerry Murdoch had to have written this. It said zero <laughs> star recruit in 2023 commits to Ooh. Oklahoma State over Air Force. It said the word oh, zero star. That's I saw that on Reddit. I, I lied. Mass mean. Oh my gosh. Like what in God's green earth? Um, I don't know what's happening in Oklahoma State. Um, I think we can all take stabs. <laughs> I feel like the answer is pretty obvious. Uh, but a mass exodus out of the same room, a defensive coordinator who hated football so he left auburn came to oklahoma state and then at the end of the year still hated football enough to retire like i'm not saying i'm not saying that Derek mason was going to be there for 15 years but like you think he would would join a coaching staff of a head coach who's been there for 20 years and be like oh organization oh structure Mm -hmm. this isn't as bad as i thought and he's like nope it's just as bad as i remember like this is just like I, I still want to retire, and then him taking a sabbatical. He's, yeah, he's going mean, off to Thailand with Cliff. <laughs> Dude, that's the best story in football right now. Is, is Thailand and Cliff <laughs> getting a one way ticket? Um, it's uh, it's it's confounding. It's it's absolutely confounding. And here's here's the beauty of it. As someone who is, I've done my best over the years to try to be as as antagonistic and as uh, as. Uh, you know, positive about both teams, right? Like I'm going to pick out everything negative. I see. I'm going to say everything positive. I see both ways. Try to do that for the past few years. There has always been a segment of Oklahoma state fans, right? Who is okay. You guys complain and complain and complain about X, Y, and Z, X, Y, and Z, eight, nine wins, eight, nine wins, eight, nine wins, right? Like that's their, you you guys don't remember the, the winless season. You guys don't remember the 1940s, you know? And okay, fine. Right? Like Mike Gundy has found a way to win and turn three stars into four stars and those stupid phrases that people say. This is where the rubber beats the road, right? Because, like, Mike Gundy's whole, all of this screams, I can win without talent. All of it. Or, or conventional talent, I should say. Mm-hmm. I can win without conventional talent. And I my, my rebuttal to that is, like, yes, he's getting production from guys who people aren't expecting. But Des Bryant, everyone knew who he was. James Washington, everyone knew who he was, right? Justin Blackman, everyone knew who he was. Brandon Whedon, everyone knew who he was. Mason Rudolph, at like over and over and over again. It's like, yeah, yeah, but your best players are guys that other schools wanted. So you think you would try to get more of those. Now, now he has nobody that anybody wants. 
You know, like there's nobody. That yeah, everybody's going outside of Ollie Gordon, Talon Shetron, outside of that, and Kendall Davis. Outside of that, Colin Oliver. Okay, I named four. That like outside of that, there's nobody else. If he puts together eight or nine win season, if he puts together nine win season this year and eight or eight win season. I'm an idiot. I don't know anything about college football. None of us know anything about college football. And Mike Gunny's X's and O's are better than anyone else's X's and O's. My sneaking suspicion is that he is going to really overachieve and he's going to be sniffing around 500. And like that is that is what I think Oklahoma State fans aren't prepared for is that the season is going to feel like, oh my gosh, I have no idea how they won that game. And then they're going to wake up and they're going to be six and six or five and seven. Right. And like that's a different lifestyle. But again, if you trust me, I interact with them every day. There's a segment of this population of Oklahoma State fans and a large vocal one that are just convinced that Mike Gundy can win eight games with Yumi and, and Steven playing, you know, wide receivers. You're just convinced. I could do it. Uh, <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> I, I would need some NIL money, though. I'll be, yeah. How much is that still water money paying? Yeah, I'll be decapitated. You guys remember that scene in Little Giants when the the kid with the big glasses puts his little head inside of, inside his pads <laughs> and Sony rips his helmet off? That would be me in the Big Twelve. I would get my helmet ripped off. Steve, Steve, what do you think about uh, Oklahoma State? That the bottom of that, like, like, like Chisholm said, like, name something good that has relatively happened. I mean, like, what the heck like, is it's it's a it's a Gundy thing. It, it, it's it's primarily primarily a Gundy thing, digging his heels in the sand. And I'm curious, like he already had a really frosty relationship with the AD. Like, what what does any of this mean for maybe his future? Well, he had, he had a, him and Holder didn't get along. Weiberg's, I mean, oh, whatever right, Gundy wants right. to do, whatever Gundy wants to do, just let him do it. But I mean, it's so. it's just it's just so odd, like to see what is happening and to have Gundy to be the most consistent head coach they've had in quite some time. And this kind of like thought and behavior is maybe like warranted And like, I don't know. Like, what do you think about the whole fallout of the OSU program right now? Even though they have got, had guys join because they're going to get it's, playing time. It's weird to see a guy that's had so much success at a program like Oklahoma state, just kind of give up on what kind of made him, who he was and that's, that's just recruiting like you uh chisholm already hit on it and uh another thing i guess would be some of the rumors and i think it's maybe it's just by association would he be willing to hire his brother who is one of the, the best recruiters in college football uh, despite being a little bit more radioactive as a hire to kind of fix those things i, I don't know if they're going to do that um kale seems to be well, we've all seen Kale wearing his, his Trojan shirt around at the casinos and restaurants and stuff like that. So yep. it's it's on the table, I would assume, but maybe it's maybe a nuclear fallout thing. Like if you hire your brother, it doesn't work out. The whole coaching tree goes down. Yeah. It, it 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 is pretty odd to see Kale, like in every image I've seen him in, he is often wearing like a USC Trojan shirt. That is pretty odd. I don't know. Seems weird. Is that weird? We're just coincidence. I've not seen it's these weird. photos. I do not know what you're referencing. I've seen it three times, three three or four different photos, and he always wears like a it's like a SC or a Trojan shirt, something like that. Yeah, like different occasions too. It's pretty odd. I don't think know. he's in the back pocket of the man out out west. Is that what I'm hearing? Could mean conspiracy theory. Could mean something. I would have brought could, more tinfoil. Could mean something. Could mean nothing. I don't know. Buki got a job at USC. Did he? Did he really? He's a, yeah, he's a yeah. 
Oh, where no were way. You? I, I we literally did like yeah. two minutes the other day on the air trying to figure out what the hell that guy was doing. <laughs> he he works uh, in the football program. Oh, what? Good for him. What's he do? Yeah, it's got to be something with like player He's accessory manager or something. Yeah, accessory manager. Hey, man, or, you know, look good, feel look good, feel good, play good, get those ten wristbands, okay? Yeah, maybe I do. See if we can find good it. for Buki. I know he's, he had like a like a practice squad thing this past offseason with the Bengals, and then obviously that didn't work out. I was curious what he's up to. No, I saw him. Uh, they were doing like a behind the scenes of all the the new USC players arriving on campus, and mm. Buki was there, kind of filing everybody around for pictures and stuff. So wait, by the way, are you guys trying to tell me that I need to be ready for like Lincoln Riley to announce that he's hiring Kale Gundy or something? Is that what, is that what you guys are getting? Know. I don't know. I'm just saying it's, it's it's been very strange to see in several different incidents in which he is. That is bizarre. It, it is bizarre. Yeah, that, that it may be a coincidence, or maybe it's just something, or maybe he just likes totally to nothing. Like, yeah, as far as know. Oklahoma State goes, I assume since Casey Dunn is not leaving, because God knows Mike does not want to hire two coordinators in one offseason. Uh, that I don't think the Kale Gundy stuff has any legs. I think that is. I think that is like OU fans trying to speak it into existence out of like a weird like we're better than you guys because you know like I you know what I mean uh, you guys are getting our sloppy seconds here and a wishful thinking from Oklahoma State I think it's like this weird collaboration of of, of making this thing work out and it's certainly interesting and it makes it very interesting as far as Oklahoma State this year in the speculation of what they could be I mean like. I expect terrible. To, I'll t- they're going to be terrible. Oh, they're they're going to be god awful. But it's Alan be Bowman a, is their quarterback. Did you know he was still in college football? I had no. I had idea. no idea. It's going to be no one. Idea. It's going to be one of those situations where every game is complete crap. But they, if you let them hang around like oh you did to every game, every freaking conference <laughs> opponent this year, what are they going to do? They're hanging around in what? I don't know that you can just muck the game up, but a lot of teams just muck the Running game up. Running for a yard and a half with Ollie Gordon? What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> hey, man, you're the one that suggested they could get get to 500. Have you seen their non-con? It's, oh, of course. <laughs> the non-con, Iowa State, Houston's going to be awful, Cincinnati's in a rebuild, but they're not beating anybody good. Well, of course, they're not. yeah, that's true. Definitely not the last bedlam. I'm, I'm... No. That's going to be very, a very sad closing ceremony to Bedlam for them, I imagine. If I put the over-under <laughs> at four and a half for Oklahoma State, what would you say? I have no idea, Not no, especially with the uncomfortability of knowing who Oklahoma does not have in that wide receiver room. But not that it really should matter. So it's four and a half? Yeah, for Oklahoma State. Oh. We, also don't, we don't know their schedule, right? They can get screwed. They can yeah. play every good team in the Big 12, but none of the easy ones. I'd say five and a half. I'll bet the other I mean, they be an asshole. They, good call, because they play at Arizona State. Yeah. And I hate to break... That's not a layup for Oklahoma State next year. No, it's not. Sorry. This is this is a big passion project for me, because I just don't understand <laughs> how we're letting this happen. Oh, no, it's, it's the oddest situation. Anyways... That 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 is literally all I have. We ended up talking about Mike Gundy and his his team just falling apart in, uh, in front of our eyes for the last ten minutes. Do you guys have anything else to talk yeah. about or plug? Join the uh, Discord. I've watched. Yeah, join the Discord. That's a great idea. I've been absent uh, since I've been in Chicago and 
surprisingly, the cell service in Chicago isn't as great as I thought it'd be. Really? Yeah. It was hmm. it was pretty spotty. I haven't been to shock. I haven't been to to, to Shy Town in four or five years, so can't speak for the cell service. It was a good time. It was all five G, and it was it was just garbage. It was just going oh, in. That's and out. fair. Uh, Chisholm, what were you telling us to watch? Oh no, I said I had the Dallas Cowboys game on, oh. and their kicker has missed four extra points. Yeah, that's mm. incredible Which and is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's thirty one to six, but it should not be that. No, it's just what a bizarre score. He finally hit one though. He hit the he hit the fifth one. So good for him. I thought if this game was mildly close, the Dallas Cowboy fans would in company like oh. engulf his house. This Did evening. you guys talk about the semifinals last time? Had those had those happened yet? Like the semifinal and cultural playoff. What about it? Did those happen the last time you guys did a podcast? I don't want to talk about something you guys already did. Uh, no. Yeah, they did. So? They like did. a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Uh, just uh, That Ohio State kick is the worst kick I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> uh, that is That has to be the worst collegiate oh, a complete beat, duck. Like, field goal attempt of all time. Has anyone ever not been ready for the moment like that kid? I feel so bad for him because it's exactly what uh, I would do. I would shrink. The Jason Bean kid from Kansas. Yeah. Oh, good call. I mean, it felt like... Just, it, like I've never been like it's like oh this game when it kick it immediately it's like oh no shot <laughs> no <laughs> chance at all like it it just it, it gave me all this energy of um the Georgia Oklahoma 2017 game and I was like oh this guy's really about to put them in the overtime um or and as soon as he kicked it it didn't even lift off into the air it was just a complete curve right to the left it just it's like a one hop it was just so anticlimactic and and uh yeah i'm i'm man you gotta feel bad for guys like that oh gosh i I felt so terrible for him i felt (laughs) awful for him i laughed my ass off ohio state fans will remember his name for forever now yes forever he, he, he has to like he can't ever bring up he was an Ohio State football player like isn't that the best part about being a college athlete is like when you go apply for jobs in Ohio you're like oh yeah I was a puck guy he can't do that because they're like oh really were you he's like yeah what years? years did you play yeah here let me google you. oh my god Check you're the guy highlights. who missed the kick <laughs> it's yeah, you're the, the first guy who missed thing the kick. On, on Wikipedia <laughs> missed kick wide left not even close to yeah, make so it to the end zone he's a collegiate athlete who can never Screw claim charge. to be a collegiate athlete ever he can't ever claim it. charge in Ohio <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's crazy oh that's well you know it happens to the best of us sometimes you miss a kick sometimes you I don't know forget to forget to put the trash out on the weekends oh, isn't that the worst it is the worst that happens but anyways Guys, follow us on CrimsonCreamMachine.com. Thank you guys for paying attention to the show. Thank you guys for following us um, uh, every week, every week or so. Um, thank you guys can find us on Twitter. You can find us on at CC Machine. You can follow me at GameRobbyCCM. You can follow, uh, follow Chisholm at Chisholm Holland. It's an extremely easy name to spell if you just sound it out. Uh, you can spell Steven at OUFDSB. Um, Again, thanks guys for listening and we will certainly check you guys later.